Professor Hans Larsen, thanks for joining me today. Thank you. Thank you for the invitation. Professor Larsen, first of all, tell me, what is crumb rubber? Crumb rubber uh, is uh, chopped up tires from both cars, trucks, and industrial vehicles. The issue is that, that while, while we've known for a long time that there are some pretty interesting substances inside uh, crumb rubber, the problem is that, that because it's not being eaten uh, and not in sort of direct contact with us, it's never been, it never had to go through that kind of formal uh, regulatory approval. So what happens then? I mean, this is the kind of material that's spread across artificial turf. So, so what happens to cause some kind of potential problem here? So the crumb rubber is filled with lots of organic compounds and heavy metals. And the actual mechanism of what it could do has never been explored. And this, to me, was stunning. The idea that we would be putting these potentially uh, carcinogenic and potentially uh, debilitating chemicals all over playing fields and and children's playgrounds seemed at odds with where we're going uh, in our society in terms of going toward sustainable development, um, thinking about the world as a healthy place. And so here we are playing on fields that are filled with about 10,000 tires uh, per soccer field. So so it seemed a bit, it seemed a bit uh, sh- shocking that, that nothing had been done on this. So I shouldn't say nothing. Uh, there has been some, some basic work done looking at things like algae or water fleas, the daphnia. But the, the actual mechanisms of what's going on, completely unknown. What happens that the chemicals in this crumb rubber are leached out uh, into the environment, into the water system or whatever? There, there are two basic mechanisms, well, three, <laughs> that these materials can get into biological systems. One is uh, off-gassing, so the volatile organic organic compounds lifting off into the, into the air. The other is through water, which is a pretty common one. Any rainfall or snowfall would then be leaching out these chemicals. And the third would be direct contact, and so direct ingestion or contact through a mucous membrane. So all these three are, are open for research. But I guess the, the most obvious one for our purposes would be the fact that rain falls on these fields and it sits on the fields and eventually runs off into the environment. Is that the case? Yeah, so, so there, there could be large environmental effects from water runoff uh, going out leaching into the environment. There could be direct effects from that. There could be direct effects to us as well. But it's, I should say it's not only crumb rubber. Uh, it turns out that tire dust from roads is also a major pollutant. Almost half of the particles uh, flowing into the San Francisco Bay are bits of tires. So we're talking about 7 trillion particles per year are flowing into the San Francisco Bay, and over half of those are, are tire dust. And so it's not, it's not just the crumb rubber, but, it, but everything coming off of tires. As, as you sort of hinted at, there have been other studies studying the effects of crumb rubber leaching out into water in terms of how it affects things like zebrafish and algae and, and these uh, water fleas and so on. But your experiment was a little bit different. Tell me about that. Well, so our experiment um, tried to well, uh, bring this to a level where, where it's a little bit more uh, analogous to uh, a complex biological system like humans. So we're never going to test humans directly. So myself, as a comparative em- embryologist, and paleontologists wanted to bring in uh, a more tractable system. Um, uh, water fleas, algae, uh, and, and even zebrafish are pretty far removed from us, whereas a very complex vertebrate with a big brain, big, big liver, and a normal-sized genome, like, like the chicken and, and human, uh, ma- makes for a pretty good comparison. And to make it even more uh, sensitive, to see what happens during embryology, which is much different than any of the other studies. And so... 
because during embryogenesis, there's lots of things that are going on. Uh, thousands of genes are, 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 are being turned on and off and regulated to produce the, the very complex organisms that we are as adults. And any, any misstep uh, in that could lead to, to some pretty dramatic effects, um, something that we're unlikely to find if we were, if we were using zebrafish or, or algae. And so the attempt was to make a much more comparable or, or analogous system for human health. And so, Professor Larson, what did you find? The exciting thing was, uh, and a bit dramatic, was that it is dose-dependent. And so under low doses, we had uh, no significant effects. But under reasonable doses, and I'm talking doses that would be, uh, we, we estimated what, the, what a normal rainfall on a field would be and the water uh, running off and taking a sample of that water and having that bathe a uh, chicken egg uh, in, our, in, our, in our experiment. So, so we took that same concentration, and we both dipped it, we painted it on the egg, we also injected it directly into the yolk uh, to see what kinds of, and also at, at different doses. And not only was the dose response there, which shows that that, that is the cause, um, we found that, that when, we di- when we directly injected it into the yolk, which is uh, for, uh, definitely the most invasive, but it, it, also, it also gave us the most sensitive uh, insight into what could be happening. About half the embryos by day seven of incubation, which is around the end of the first trimester in human development. About, by, by day seven, half the embryos were uh, mutated to be lethal, so, so non, non-viable embryos. Some were still alive, but by mutations, I mean eyes not, not separating from the brain uh, and, and sort of very, very high asymmetries, horrific. The ones that looked relatively normal uh, from the outside did turn out to have uh, less body mass. They had altered gene expressions. And with that, we discovered that parts of the brains were systematically underdeveloped. And this was a big shock to me. I didn't think that, that, that we would see that. So, so the specific regions of the brain involved both the sort of quote-unquote higher-order thinking or processing part of the brain and motor control. And so these were the parts affected in the first seven days of development of a chicken. So this is a rather serious deformation, and again, this is at what, medium-dose levels or high-dose levels? This was at medium-dose levels, but we injected it straight to the yolk so that mm. it, it could be picked up uh, more or less directly into the bloodstream. There's still a few barriers in between the yolk and the bloodstream, and so we, we've now uh, upgraded that whole experimental procedure to now inject it straight to the bloodstream. So and if you can get even more like a sensitive response. So how does this translate into what we as, as humans might experience, uh, either playing on such a field on a regular basis or, or, or what exactly, inhaling, uh, inhaling rubber dust from the road kind of thing? Or how does this possibly uh, translate to our experience as humans in the city? Yeah, so I should note, we, we did not test humans, so, so we're not, we're not clinician, clinicians or, 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 or medical doctors. However, uh, that being said, I think that this raises some serious concern. There, uh, if we're finding this, and so, so by, by having this, this, this chicken embryo system, which is now the most analogous to, to a complex human, the, in using the system, we, we've, we've highlighted that, that even low doses of, of, these, of these particles 
can have some dramatic uh, and absolutely serious effects on, on physiology and development. Uh, of course, we, we've all heard the anecdotes about some uh, female uh, soccer players who are all goalers uh, in, I think it was Washington State, um, who all contracted an oral facial cancer. And, the, and the, the implication was that because they were goalers playing on this artificial turf and their hands and mouth contact was, 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 a, was, a, was a driver for that. We don't know for sure uh, on this, so, but it opens up the door uh, that, that we need to be really seriously thinking about what these things are doing to us. I think that, that we need to think of this at, at, at a multi, multiple levels. One is what's it doing to our health as we're, as we're in the environment, and what's it doing to our embryo's health. Or developmental health. So this this might in fact be something of even greater concern to young women playing on such fields than than say adult males, for example. Yep, I agree. I agree. So it may have more concern for women and a high concern for pregnant soccer moms. I'm not saying we should be alarmist. However, uh, our study does open up a door or a window into that that these these toxins uh, may have uh, dramatic effects on us. Professor Hans Larsen, thank you so much for this. Oh, my pleasure. Thank you.